go. Today we're headed to go rent out my old house, our old house, and rent it out. We're going to try it. We're going to try to be a landlord and see what happens. See if we like it. Just one house. If we can handle that. Maybe we'll try it too. I mean, to me, it seems like a no-brainer. It does. I mean, if you, if you can if you can do it, why not? I'm not even trying to make any money on it. You know, the cash flow idea. I don't. Uh. -uh. I'm. My goal is literally. To get the house paid for, to get the house paying for itself. That's my goal. That's it. That's it. If the house can pay for itself, it's all good. It's kind of my retirement, because I don't really have retirement where I'm at. So, instead of selling this home that we moved out of a few months ago, we're like, well, we'll keep it, fix it up. Finally, we fixed it up good enough that we feel like we can rent it out. Finally, a couple months, I had to pay mortgage on two houses. Like three months. But now, get some renters in there and they will pay the mortgage the whole thing plus maybe a couple extra dollars which of course will get eaten up in maintenance you know or insurance or something you know so there's but how is this not a no-brainer I mean somebody is buying a house for you and all you have to do is make sure it's livable you know, make sure it's maintained that's way cheaper than buying a house you know people poo poo like being a realtor or a realtor I'm sorry landlord they're like oh it's you know so much work I'm like somebody's paying a, your mortgage <laughs> you know they're buying you an asset they're putting this money directly in your pocket, and the only stipulation is that uh, you, well, I mean, you put that money towards the house that they're living in, you know, and pay the mortgage, and, and uh, make sure it's up, working. How is that not a huge win? Seems like a good retirement plan to me. 
I mean, compare it. Compare it to a 3% match. Compare it to a 10% match. This is better. Let's say our mortgage is 2000 Okay. So in order to get $2,000 a month, uh, the rent is 2000 The mortgage is 2000 Let's say, whatever, you, you break even. You don't make any any profit uh, in the short run. You know, there's no, there's no cash flow profit. Okay, fine. And the rent's 2000 No cash flow profit. Okay, good. All right. No cash flow. Cash flow is extra profit. Okay. I mean, am I thinking about this wrong? I mean, someone's buying you an asset. I don't, I don't know how else to think about it. You know, people, people say, oh, if it's not cash flowing, you know, two to five hundred dollars a month, it's not worth it. Well, what? It's not worth it. If you're breaking even, it's worth it on cash flow. It's definitely worth it. How much would you have to put into your retirement saving every month to make a 10% match from your employer into your retirement? And they are putting in $2,000. You'd have to put in $20,000 a month to get that kind of return. in an employment situation on a 10% match. Come on. This is so much better. Honestly. But, you know, we'll see. Maybe there's just something that's like staring me in the face, but I won't see it. I don't know. I've never been a landlord before. I've been a tenant. And I've been a good one. I mean, I don't trash the place, keep it up, you know? I'm not great. It's not like I'm going to fix everything that's wrong. I'm just going to live my life and be a tenant. But I'm a good one. So I'm hoping to be able to attract good ones. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what the ratio of good to bad tenants are out there in the world, but we'll see. There's one person that told me a horror story. Said I tried to do that, and my tenants built a meth lab, <laughs> built a meth lab in my house. Okay, maybe that's a big problem. Maybe that's you know, I mean tenants could do, could do um, tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage, I suppose. So I I don't yet have the proper insurance, probably, so I'll have to be looking into that. But I think in general, like on average, it's kind of a no-brainer, you know? Maybe try to rent out to families, I suppose. Probably not going to have a lot of meth labs if you do that. You know, there's got to be good heuristics for for um, minimizing risk here. 
I bet it's... I think this landlord thing is probably going to be... Worth it. So that's the plan. I mean, if this goes well, you know, today we're signing a year lease. And, and if this goes well, every time I'm, you know, we move from house to house, we'll just keep the, the old one. We'll just keep it and rent it out. Just keep it. Rent it out. That's the idea. You know, over the years, you have three or four houses that you're renting out. I knew somebody that did this. Friend of mine, his mom, uh, did this, and he was older, so she was like really old, and uh, you know, like past retirement age or whatever. Um, and uh, but she did this with her husband, who passed away already. Um, their whole life, and they lived in 11 houses. Well, 12, including the one she lived in now. And so she had 11 rentals. You know, and that's, that's it. And uh, since she had the houses so long ago, they were um, pretty much all paid for. Uh, the rentals were just was just gravy. It was just cash flow at this point. It was just an asset that produced an income for her. So that's you know what she was living off of. That was a, their retirement. It was not even not even the sale of the homes, just the rental value of the homes. Amazing. You know, like. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. My my goal's not eleven. My goal's like three, maybe four, the most. And she, and since all of this money was gravy, uh, of course, and she was old, she just hired a management company. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Well, maybe if I get really old or something. I'm not going to do that. I'll just manage it myself. Good renters in there. All right. See, sometimes I think about practical things, and I I walk through, you know, the moments that are occurring, my goals and stuff. Most of the time, I find that kind of stuff pretty boring. However, I have learned that yeah i should i should pay more attention to that and and so i do i pay a lot more attention to that than i used to a lot more i was a space cadet man as a kid i was out there you know they call it add now or something you know like, I'm so glad I wasn't, like, medicated. <laughs> oh, God. No, thank you. Nope.
parent my mom told me this story. In parent teacher conferences with my What is it called? Kindergarten teacher? Pam? I remember her name. Not Miss Pam. I don't know. It's Pam, I suppose. Anyway, uh, Pam said, Jordan, um, he never seems to be paying attention. <laughs> so I want to tell you that just the other day in the middle of a, a, you know, a lesson about some letter or whatever, I asked him what he was thinking. I said, Jordan, what are, you, what are you thinking right now? And he said, I'm just wondering what it might be like to be a speck of dust floating in outer space. <laughs> Is there a more space cadet answer than that? Probably not. Well, okay. I've gone through what I'm about to do with the landlord thing and what my plans are and how we're proceeding moving forward. And now I'm ready to switch gears. What should we talk about? What should we think about? I've been programming all day. My mind is a little fried. I think maybe I'll just take a break. Be silent for a little bit. Because it's pretty obvious I have nothing to say right now. I thought I did. But I don't. Oh, that's not right. A 10% match? That's not right. They're not matching 10% of what you put in. They're matching up to 10% of your salary if you also put in 10% of your salary. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. So, you'd have to make 20000 a month. And in order to get their contribution, you'd have to put in 2000 a month. And that's a 10% match. Nobody has a 10 Cut it in half, say a 5% match on average, if you're lucky, on a, on a lucky average. Um, what is that? Oh, 40. Sorry. Yes, 40. You can see my brain is fried. Yeah. Who makes $40,000 a month at a company? At a, come on. 
come on. How can anything beat this? Real estate. I mean, things can beat it. Bitcoin. Perhaps you're really good at uh, investing in certain things, but you know, for the average idiot like myself, I can't do those things. I'm not some kind of finance genius or anything. I need something easy. This is the best thing for someone at my level. I can't. I can't think of something better. How do you get somebody to give you $2,000 every month? To just give it to you. Just put it in your pocket. And you probably don't. You probably have to put it in a banker's pocket. But the banker's pocket is going to put it into your house. And the house is also going to appreciate while you're the one with the deed. Or while the bank says you're the one with the deed. You know what I mean? How can you beat it? The appreciation, gaining a free asset. It's not quite free, I mean, it takes a little bit of effort. Let's say you, let's say it costs you 400 bucks a month. It costs you a nice car, okay? You trim down to one car instead of two. You put that 400 bucks a month into the house. Now somebody's giving you $1,600. You know, you're netting $1,600 to put into an asset for free. You know, that 400 supposedly is taking away all, all, the, uh, all, all the effort that you have to put in, all the risk that you're taking. It's insurance plus, I don't know, something maintenance repairs and stuff like that $1,600 a month to go buy a house for free it's free money I don't know man I just I can't I don't know how you can beat it My mom used to quote the Bible. Well, just a few verses. She'd say, borrower nor lender be. Borrower nor lender be. In some countries, some cultures, say lending is an evil. You know? I don't know how I feel about that. I do not know how I feel about it. Well, here's what I, you know, eventually you get to the bottom line of, well, the whole monetary system is corrupt anyway. So, uh, you know, the government claims the right to just print it out of thin air. So, There's really no such thing as like, well, there's Bitcoin. I, I don't know. I don't know. 
once you're like, okay, yeah. Um, landing is evil. Then you're like, oh, well, that's the way money is created. Well, that's the way fiat currencies are created. Some institution lends out money that doesn't exist yet. It says, look, I'm going to give you this money that doesn't exist. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make it up. It's monopoly money. I just printed some off. I'm just going to give it to you at an interest rate. Okay, so... You know, 2%, 1%, 25 basis points, whatever. At some interest rate, so that you have to give me back more money at some point in the future. Where are they going to get that money? There's only one place money comes from. And it's you. So, in order to pay it off, they have to go into further debt. To you. Right? They're working for you. Now, that kind of lending seems a little evil. Because you just claimed the right to uh, print the money. And you really don't have that right. There's no reason you should have it. Maybe. Maybe. What kind of arguments go against that idea? Well, before crypto, uh, you'd say, well, governments can claim the right because uh, somebody's got to have the right. So, could you make that argument? What if you said, well, gold. Gold is... Now, if, if the Fed... Um, What's the alternative? Let's say the Fed says, oh, well, yeah, we're going to print money and we're going to hand it out to whoever we think. We can bail out the banks or whatever. But uh, not with interest. Okay, we, we, we give it out and that's just the way it works. We just give it away. Why is that superior? Is that better? Is that worse? than with interest. Well, with interest, you either default, okay, and and what are they going to do? You know? Well, use the strong arm of the state to take all your assets. If you say, I, I'm not going to pay you back the interest, oh, well then, give us your assets. Oh, well, I don't have any assets. 
Oh. Well, that sucks for us, I guess. So you can either default, um, or, but you can only do that, you know, in a beneficial manner to you if you actually don't have the money or the assets. Okay. All right. Or you can work. You can work to pay them back. You can work. Now, of course, they lend it out to banks who don't work. They lend it out to other people at a higher interest rate. Uh, and then those people work. Right? Like those companies work. So, there's several layers, but, uh, yeah. So what if it was different? What if it was like, oh, well, we're, we're um, well, what if we look at the interest rate as an insurance policy and the bank says or the uh, you know it's risk so this is the argument against the idea that lending is evil and saying look I have this money I can give it to you and that is if I'm if I actually do have it not the Fed if I actually worked for this money I can give it to you, or I can not, and that's good for me because I get to keep my money, use it, you know, buy something nice. But it's bad for you because you don't get, um, you know, you don't get you don't get to use my money for for being productive. That's what the insurance, that's what the interest rate does. It says, well, you only borrow money in order to uh, get something that helps you make more money, right? Otherwise, how are you going to pay it back? How are you going to pay it back plus interest? Come on. Okay. Yeah. So, um,. What was I saying? So yeah, so it's a it's a it's a it's an insurance policy saying, look, a lot of people will default, but uh, I make a lot of loans, so on average, I'll actually make more money. Or it's an insurance policy that says policy that says, uh, oh well, you know, at least I'll 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 get the money that I lent out back. I think when you see it as an insurance policy, there's nothing wrong with it. But the Fed has nothing to risk. So... What gives them the right? To charge for the use is you know it's a complicated topic you know 
I don't know what to think about it. I mean, part of me says, oh, it's absolutely ridiculous. Another part of me says, well, there's elements that are not ridiculous, like this insurance stuff. How do you build an economy? How do you, how do you aggregate capital in order to fund projects that make our life better? How do you incentivize people coming together and working together to do great things without enough money to incentivize them to do that? Well, if you don't have enough money, you have to aggregate it. But how do you aggregate capital? Well, you have to manage risk. You have to manage risk. So insurance is a free market institution. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. Free market as in it, it exists in a market where there's no central bank doling out papers, printing money, bailing people out. If everything's um, on an even playing field, we'll say it that way. So this this kind of question of well is usury uh, evil? I think it's just absolutely dwarfed. You know, I've I've spent a little time kind of exploring it here, but there's, but you know, it, it has use cases, right? Let's just put it that way. Like it's it's useful. Whereas other things in society are radically evil radically evil obviously evil the drug war is one of those things any kind of war is one of those things I remember being a little kid I'm having some reminiscing here aren't I I'm thinking back to my childhood today. I remember being a little kid. 
learning about, you know, you know, in church they talk about morals all the time. Learning about, okay, here's the Ten Commandments. One of them is thou shalt not kill. All right, great. I'm having a little discussion with my parents because wars are always happening. I was aware that wars are real. And soldiers kill people. In fact, they kill other soldiers. That's all I knew at the time. But I thought, okay, well, thou shalt not kill. Oh, thou shalt not murder. Right. Okay, so I talked to my parents about this. I was like, okay, so soldiers are, are killers then. Soldiers are breaking this commandment. Soldiers are no good. And they're like, well, you know. Well, it says kill right there. It says kill. Thou shalt not kill. Like, well, okay, well, self-defense is okay. Like, well, oh, soldiers are not in self-defense. I mean, they are, but they put themselves there, you know. They they went to war, you know. They, they, you got a choice. I mean, even if someone's trying to force you, you can get out of it. There's a way. There's always a way to get out. It might not be great, I mean might be very difficult, but there's a way. Right? So, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, I don't know. Seems a little uh, cut and dry there. And they're like, well, okay. Alright. So, maybe it's not 100% self-defense in a war, but it's still, it's still okay to kill if you're a soldier <laughs> man this did not sit with me well but even as a kid you know I mean probably especially as a kid when you're talking to someone you can tell when they're they're not upset yet but it might not take too much more <laughs> to push them over the edge where they're like starting to get upset. And so I didn't push it, right? But that should have told me something too. That alone. When it, you're a child, you're faced with a conundrum. Okay, there, Life is confusing, so you don't always know what's up and so you feel like yeah I guess I should trust you know in general I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with that but there are some things that seem quite simple to you and amazingly obvious and yet the society in which you live and this is true of every child claims to not believe it not believe the very obvious thing that you can evidently see is true and it's very confusing and I feel bad for kids because what are you supposed to do <laughs> when that happens when you know you really know you know, you know, 
you know. You know. You know. You know. You know. You know what's right. But you're being told something else. Ooh, it's hard. I mean, it's hard as an adult. It's hard as a child, you know, in peer pressure situations. But it's really hard. For kids to stick with their guns. I couldn't do it. I, I gave it all up. I was like, man. Everything. Everything I knew. There were some things I retained, but, I, you know, there were things I didn't have to act on. <laughs> they were like, well, I can just keep this opinion to myself. You know? <laughs> they weren't things like, oh, I got to choose to fight on this topic. Okay, whatever. <laughs> I'll just, I'll go with it. But some people, you know, this is when it gets sad is when they embrace it. I did that with religion. But, you know, everybody does it with you know, something. Some illusion, delusion of the society they embrace. They're like, oh yeah, racism. Yeah, those those bad people. And as a kid, you know they're not bad people. You know it. Even if you don't know any of those kind of people, you know they're not bad. Come on. They're people. They're just people. Right? <laughs> you know it. You know, it's no big deal. I mean, like I remember learning about uh, immigrants, illegal immigrants. I'm like third grade or fourth grade or something. Learning about illegal immigrants. And learning that, you know, they're coming across the border. They come here, they, they work, or maybe they even get welfare. I don't know. But they work and they get money and they send it back to their people living in a less rich area of the world. And, you know, this was presented to me like, oh, this is like a terrible thing. Like, how dare they come over here, damn bastards. And I, you know, I remember being like, what the fuck is wrong with you? If you lived in there, would you come over here? Come on, dude. Just put your, it's so obvious. You would do it. I would do it. You know, I remember telling my teacher in like third grade, oh, I would do that. <laughs> so how, why, why should I be mad about these people? Yeah, seriously. Seriously, yeah. And I remember uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. Just stuff like that. As a kid, some things are just so obvious. It's just so crystal clear. When I was in my 20s and kind of trying to come out of religion, feeling like I didn't understand what was going on in the world, I remember making the distinct effort to return to childhood-like th thinking and to say, okay, I'm not going to have any preconceived notions about anything I hear. I'm just going to pretend like I am a five-year-old child. And I'm just going to take it for what it seems like it is. 
And, you know, as I learn more, I can update those models, but uh, I'm not, I'm not, um, I need to become as a baby, you know, I said, I said, well, maybe I should become, think of it like I'm a, like an, an alien coming to this world from another planet thinking, what are these humans all about? <laughs> I should look at the society and everything I'm told from that perspective. And I adopted it. I was like, I'm going to go with that. Let's try it. It's a good exercise. I think it's worthwhile. And it's what children naturally do. So, anyway. Are you a solipsist? Are you? Are you the only one? <sighs> You'll never know, will you? Terrence McKenna said something one time that really, really rang true to me. I was like, yes, that. <laughs> you want to know what it was? <laughs> he said, don't believe. Don't believe. You know how he does in his nasally voice and everything. Don't believe anything <laughs> you can just hear him saying that can't you? as soon as I heard it I was like yes and then I was like shit <laughs> oh I believe that oh man but I do I believe in not believing because Belief is something that you, it's an attachment, first of all. It's, it's choosing a side, it's, it's picking a team. One of my earliest memories, we're talking about early memories, apparently, this, today. So one of my earliest memories, I was, you know, about four years old, three maybe, I think it was four. And, uh... My dad was telling me how how great the Dodgers are or something and how awful the Giants are, you know. And you know, I had seen him watch these matches, these games on TV. Like, I, you know, I kind of got it. He gave me a... I was, it, this has happened because, you know, one of his buddies gave me a Giants t-shirt, you know, for like a little kid. 
and yeah, <laughs> as a joke, yeah. and and I, and I was like, who are the Giants? You know, what what is this? And I'm like, oh, it's that that thing, that's that sport thing. I, okay, and maybe that biased me against sports for the rest of my life, or maybe I would have been biased anyway. But at that time. I was like, I, I remember being like, okay, well, why? What, what makes them better? I mean, they look like they're exactly the same. You like the colors? You like the blue? Is that it? You just, you just don't like black. You know, and whatever else. Black and yellow or something like that. I don't know what it is anymore. The logos. I was like... It's just, it's, it's got to be a color thing, you know? Like, I just, I couldn't understand why. Why would you like, they're doing the same thing. They're playing this game against each other, you know? Trying to move the ball. What makes one better than the other? Now I've grown older, and you know uh, these common common commentators, you know, they're talking about people's career, and it's a it's a it's a gossip. Sports is gossip for men. That's what it is. It's gossip for men. You know, uh, it's fine. But I was not into it. You know, I didn't I didn't understand that back then. And uh, so, but I thought. This seems arbitrary. You know? <laughs> I wish I had all these words when I was little. I would have said them. But I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't get it, man. This seems stupid. It seems really stupid to align yourself with an arbitrary decision. you know. And then I went and did that for many years of my life in many various ways. you know. And I applied labels to myself. I think this way. I think that way. I believe this. I believe that. I believe I've chosen. I'm on a team. You know, I'm rooting for this. You know, I'm associated. I'm I'm attached. I'm emotionally attached to the outcome. Which, honestly, for most of the things that I profess to believe, would never come. Because there's a lot of things that you can't know. I mean, for practical reasons, you know, it's just, the information is just kind of hard to get. But there's also, for logical reasons, we don't know the one-way speed of light. My theory is because there is no one-way speed of light. And I think if you take the Big Bang uh, cosmology seriously, you have to... <laughs> Say, well, everything came from this one point, so everything is returning to itself, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. There is no one-way speed of light. It's all going back into a loop. If you want to take that cosmology seriously. And I kind of don't. I'm kind of like, well, I don't really know about that. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe steady state universe is all right. I, 
maybe it just looks like it's a big bang because of the way we're you know vantage point we're viewing it from i don't know i have no idea and i'm not going to choose a side but what i can do is apply logical inference to both sides to every argument to every possible situation that i deem within the realm of possibility i can say well if it's this then it's that well if it's that then we have to interpret everything this way i am applying transforms onto you know anyway anyway i'm getting off topic the point is since we don't know the one-way speed of light why do we choose one We can't know. Since we know we can't know the one-way speed of light, why do we give it a value? We shouldn't. We should not give it a value. Like I said, it's in a superposition because you know you can't know it. And what does that really mean in all practical worlds? Well, it means whatever valid value you give it. I mean, there is a range, right? is accurate whatever value it has would produce the same universe that we live in today it would look the same to us no matter what value of all its possible values within the realm of possibilities and by the way that realm uh, Veritasium did a great video on this is in the range of zero to zero to it, 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 that's instantaneous by the way it's instant immediate to what two times two times the two-way speed of light which we can measure we can measure light going out from us and coming back we got that we know how to measure that So, two times? It's half, right? Instant? I don't know. I don't know. Go watch the video. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, the realm, the realms doesn't matter. What matters is to realize that maybe, let's say we lived in a universe where it was a particular value, even though we know we can't know it, so we know it's not a particular value, but let's just pretend that universe would look the same as the universe that we're in. would look the same because that's what a superposition is it says well your universe looks the same no matter what state this is in that's what it is so you can choose a state to assume that it's in but it's a mere choice it's just it's not even conjecture because you know you're not right what you're doing is you're saying, well, I'm going to hold this still just because it's, it, it feels easier to me. But you don't need to do it. All right. What I'm saying is don't believe. Don't believe that light has a one-way speed of light. Speed. Speed of light. Light has a speed of light. <laughs> don't believe it because it's not true. It doesn't have one. 
There's no value that is the one-way speed of light. If it did have a value, though, we know where it would, where it would live. And so we live in all the universes that exist upon that spectrum, in that range. That's just one universe. Because they're all the same. Now, from our perspective, they're all the same. Uh, from a model perspective, they're not all the same. They, they imply things. I, I don't remember in what way, but it's basically saying, well, from my perspective, it's the same, but uh, I don't know. Go back and watch the video. It seems like it moves the external, non-observed world around, but since it's not observed, it doesn't matter. It's a superposition. It doesn't matter. It's a model that could or could not be. You can't... You can't. Well, so don't believe in it don't believe can you know somebody else is aware in the same way that you're aware you cannot even if you experience their awareness somehow you're still just experiencing your own awareness you're always inside your own mind You're always you, aren't you? So you can't know. So don't believe either way. Don't choose a side. Don't be a solipsist. Don't not be a solipsist. Don't choose. Don't believe. Don't associate yourself with something that's ridiculous. It's a superposition, bro. What does that mean? Okay, well, let's take it seriously. What, what can we uh, take seriously from this? It's all fine and good to say, well, don't believe it. What does that mean? Like, what do you get to do? Okay, all right. Well, to me, it means look at both worlds and just theoretically wonder what it means if you live in each each one of them separately. If I'm the only awareness surround, if I'm in a dream, if I'm in a perpetual dream for all eternity and it's just me, that's what a solipsist is. I'm the dreamer. Okay. If that's what existence is, should I quit my job? Well, the dream has certain rules, and I can suffer. It means nobody else can suffer, but I can suffer, because I've suffered. I mean, well, I may be in suffering at the moment. Therefore, I know I can suffer. Okay. So if you're the only one, if you're the dreamer, you quit your job. Well, 
if it provides more meaning to your life to quit your job, knowing that nobody else is real, essentially, then in that world you should quit. You should have a little bit of faith, right? It's your dream. Okay. Might be a nightmare. All right. What about the world in which I'm not the dreamer and we live in the real world and people are real? And it's, you know, the typical view of things. Oh, well... Um, should I take the risk? Well, yeah. You, you become just a little tiny part, don't you? Before, in, in, when you were the dreamer, you were everything. I mean, technically. Everything was a part of your existence because you were the dreamer. And you're sitting atop a huge pyramid and, and everything underneath you is producing the dream that you see. Yeah, I mean, seems like you're in a good, real, you know, high position there, we'll say. You're everything. Everything is you. You have to identify with everything that way. But if you draw a clear boundary and you say, no, that person's real and they have a different experience than me. And it's fundamentally inaccessible to me. that's where you're at that's what you believe that's what you're aligned with um, well you should probably do this a safe thing right but there are sometimes when You feel like you should take a risk. Probably when taking a risk in and of itself for a specific purpose gives your life more meaning than it did for your tiny little insignificant existence. What does it mean? Oh, well, the answer is nothing, but if you quit your job and you go try this other thing and you put all your effort into it, you, know, you maybe could mean something to yourself because nobody else is watching you in either case, nobody else is watching you. Not from the inside. You're the one there. Then you should probably do it. If it gives your life more meaning. In both universes. I think, I think the benefit of saying, well, I'm going to look at this situation from both universes. You cut through the shit. Okay, eventually you just say, look, 
I guess, does this matter? Okay. There you go. Got my answer. Oops. Took a wrong turn. Uh, I, th I think it helps you. You say, I need to behave in such a way as to not offend myself, not let myself down, no matter what universe I live in. That if I was living in that universe, I'd take this behavior. If I was living in this universe, the one I'm associating myself with at the, at the current, you know, uh, hypothetical, I would also take that action. Now you know what to do. Now you know what action you should take. So, I mean, you can use this belief as a, um, as a tool to introspect. Not as something to become emotionally attached to. You know, about not believing. I kind of feel like Well, I am preoccupied with religion, obviously. Preoccupied with a lot of things, but... But on this topic of not believing, there was a very important question that I had <clears throat> when I was younger. In fact, I know the age. It was about seven. When I was being asked to get baptized soon at eight, I had an issue with a certain topic uh, in the religion, and that topic was faith. I didn't understand the word. I didn't know what it meant. I had a real hard time understanding what it meant. I couldn't define it. It was hard. I mean, what is it? Faith. Have faith. I, I, now, what I did understand is belief. And belief is, you know, you, um, you think something is true, you know, or false. You know, you believe it. You don't know. It's one or the other, but you don't know. And you choose to believe, or you, you, you believe it, right? Now this is where it was difficult for me because in my mind I was I was faced with a conundrum. Okay, belief is when you don't know. That's when belief steps in. But then what you believe should be just based on what you see. What 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 evidence do you have? What do you know? Well, okay, I have this stuff, so that leans towards this outcome, so, you know, I, I believe this way. You know, it should be based 
on evidence. Belief. And it was confusing to me because I was like, well, there's, n- there's no other room for anything else. There's no other room for faith. You know, like faith is supposed to be somewhere in this group of concepts, but there's no other room for it. I either don't know, therefore I believe what shows the most evidence, or I do know, and therefore I believe what I know. Done. This faith concept was really annoying to me because I didn't know where it belonged. I didn't know what it meant. It's like faith. Okay, so maybe I'd, I'd go back and forth. I'd be like, okay, well, maybe faith is the choice to believe, but that just means choose what has the most evidence. So that, that doesn't really help me. Uh, hmm. What is faith? And I couldn't get over it. Now, I did come to an interim conclusion because I was like, well, okay. It sounds like faith is a word people use in order to choose to believe something despite evidence or something that they have no evidence either way for. You know, they're just going to make a choice. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't really mean anything because if you don't know, if you don't have any evidence either way, well, fine, choose, make a choice, make a choice of your preference. But as soon as you get evidence, you're going to change your choice or you're going to reinforce it. So faith means nothing at that point. Uh, okay. And so this is like, because they had that phrase, evidence of things not seen. That's from the Bible somewhere, like John or something. And so I was like, okay, all right, that's that's what faith is. It's, it's where you don't know, you choose. But then I was like, well then, wait a second. You're just gonna, you're just gonna change it when you get some evidence, so. <laughs> all right, all right, whatever. And then I was like, oh, well maybe it's uh, you, you st- this is what I kind of saw is that oh you make a choice to what to believe and that's faith and then you stick with that choice no matter what despite new evidence and you you have faith that eventually you'll get evidence that's in your favor and that was like okay that's what faith really seems to be to me however I said, no, that's that. I'm not going to choose to believe that that's what faith is because, well, obviously that makes everybody around me absolutely insane. So I was like, okay, uh, let's just ignore that possibility for a little bit. I can't handle that. That's, that's too far, even for me. So I was like, okay, well, what else could it be? And so finally I came up with this concept that I was like, this is what faith is. This is, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with this. And this is going to allow me to adopt the Mormon perspective, to, you know, choose it. Okay. So I was like, okay, well, this is what faith is. <laughs> it says more about the external world than it says about my internal 
experience is what I came down to. I said what faith is, is a choice to believe and making that choice changes the external world to comply to that choice. Intention has an effect on the external world. Was I was like, oh, when I choose to believe something, it makes it more true. That's where I had to land in order to say, okay, I don't exactly understand that. I'm not sure that makes any sense. However, that is the only way out of this conundrum that doesn't make me believe everyone around me is nuts. Every adult. Okay, I'm only seven years old. These people are like four or five times older than me. Four or five times. Either they're all morons or uh, there's some nuance to the world that could be embodied by this idea that intention has an effect. You know, there's something there, you know, to faith. There's some realistic meaning. There's some real meaning there. And that's where I had to land and I couldn't go anywhere else. Now, what I didn't realize was to just put them in my shoes. They came into a world where everybody was insane. So what did they do? They did exactly what I did. Accept the insanity. They're not morons. The Them as a group are morons. And that's why, you know, I've always concluded that the group is a, more of an idiot than any individual. Because all the beliefs that the group... Um, can talk about have to be able to be talked about by the lowest common denominator. It's not just the... The group is not just equal... as stupid as the stupidest individual in the group. It's equal to the stupidest uh, parts of all the stupidest people in the group. It's lower than all of them. Which is why you get these insane cultish ideas. And people go along with it because everybody else is going along with it. Well, it's a mechanism of the information in the group. That's just how it works. So I, I, wish, I, had, I wish I had figured that out at that age. And then I'd be like, okay, now I, since I have that, I can go against it. I can say, okay, you're not all insane. You're just going along with the moron Mormon group. Okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. It's fine. But from your seven-year-old perspective, where you haven't thought that through, it looks like everybody's an idiot. It's, sho it's quite shocking. It's terrifying. Honestly, I mean, 
it's insane. It, it's terrifying. And I think most people that have been indoctrinated in something as a child, anything really, I mean, and even, uh, um, even indoctrinated, you know, nothing's immune to this. Like education has issues where people are insane about stuff and myths persist and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. Anybody who has been indoctrinated as a child and had that kind of inkling, they probably know what I felt like. Where they're like, oh man, that's not right. This, you know, I'm willing to listen, I'm willing to be taught, I'm willing to be educated, but from where I stand right now, I can't fit this in. It doesn't make any sense. And if I'm right, a bunch of adults are absolutely wrong. So what is that supposed to tell me? Now, it's freaky. It's just totally freaky. It's supposed to tell you something about the nature of human civilization. That we're mostly drones. We just go along with whatever. And even if we are putting some thought into it, we will find a way, like I did, to go along with whatever. We will justify it. We'll find a way. We'll find it. Because we're just smart enough to be stupid. So don't believe. Don't don't choose a belief. <laughs> don't choose. Don't attach. Don't believe. Don't have faith. Now as I've grown older, I've appreciate I've grown a new appreciation for the word faith. Uh, but it's a lot more akin to hope. It's a lot more akin to, I'm going to put myself out there and have faith that things are going to work out or, you know, that kind of faith. I'm going to have faith in existence that everything comes out in the wash, you know, something like that. I don't know how to describe it exactly, but the only, I mean, one reason, not the only reason. But one reason I think that faith is practical, that kind of faith is practical, is because it gets you to move in meaningful ways. You take the risks that, you know, maybe you take a little too many risks, but um, maybe it's just me. I've always erred on the side of really cautious, really, really cautious. I think that's expressed by the idea that I've always, uh, or by the fact that I've always tried to uh, go along with the group. Because I'm like, okay, everybody in the group is still alive, so I'm going to play the cautious card, and even though it doesn't make a lot of sense, go with the group, I guess. You know, and so... I've always erred on that side. So I think, for me personally, perhaps, only, or for somebody like that, probably most people are like that, honestly. <laughs> uh, 
learning to have a little faith in existence. Be like, well, you know, sometimes things go horribly wrong, but most of the time it's all right. You know, if you take calculated risks, you'll, you'll be fine. You know, if you have that kind of faith and you're not, uh, you haven't, it'll help you get over uh, learned helplessness. If you've learned how to be helpless and, you know, have a little faith. Take a little risk. See if it works out. Try it again. Anyway. I've, I've learned a new appreciation for that. And I suppose I have I feel like I can see the world from multiple points of view and whereas before I was um, aligning myself with one point of view now it's more like I see the world from multiple points of view, and I can switch between them, I suppose, given the situation. Yeah. It's kind of like somebody who uh, treats conspiracy theories as entertainment. You know, it's like, okay, that's kind of fun. That's a fun idea. And then they learn the idea, and they, but they don't get sucked into it to the point where they believe it. And so I feel like I've done that kind of thing with, um, with, um, with my metaphysics, I guess is the best way to put it. So I, I'm always saying things like, or thinking things like, well, one way to view everything is X, Y, or Z. Another way to view everything is this way. So, I mean, related to this faith, this new, new and improved faith concept that I've appreciated as an adult, I'll tell you a story. One day I had a, uh, a desire and a plan to go into work early. You know, I had a few things to do. I wanted to get get those done, and I, you know, I was I had some goals, and that would free up a little bit of my afternoon to go do this other thing. And I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do tomorrow. Just a minute. All right. So then I go to bed. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up at like 5.30, 6 of the latest, you know. We're going to do the thing. Okay, great. I go to bed. The alarm goes off. And um, I'm like, okay, well, let's snooze one, one time. It's all good. The alarm goes off again. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> nope, I'm still way asleep. I am not going to work right now. Okay. And that's what happened. So I had the true intention. I didn't think I would be like, you know, I had a true intention to go do it. Now, 
during that 15 minutes when I was asleep, in between, or maybe it was after, actually, I think it was after, I went back to sleep after deciding, no, I am not going to work right now. Um, I had an interesting dream. And I felt like I was in communion. It wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't like a, a typical dream where, you know, you got like a character and you're walking around or whatever, you know. Um, it was it was more like just, I don't know, I felt like I was in communion with something deeper than myself. And this is how it, the conversation felt, okay? It wasn't like a literal conversation, but this is what it kind of felt like. It kind of felt like... Now, where is this coming from? Is it, Before I tell the story, is this data that I received coming from my own conscious mind? Am I just making it up? Is it coming from my subconscious mind? You know? Stuff that's programmed in there, you know, that's like pretty deep. Does it come from like even deeper than that? Or is it coming from the world itself? Is it coming from existence itself? At some point, I'm like, well, it doesn't matter where it comes from. Does it? I mean, I can, I can think of it as coming from the world. You know, uh, the world soul, I think, is the way some people have put that. I can think of it as coming from my own subconscious, or I can think of it as coming from, I just made it up. I'm not quite aware that I made it up, so it's got to be somewhat in my subconscious. But, you know, I'm not aware of where my conscious thoughts come from in the first place. So, there you go. I, I guess I... I can just assume I made it up. Any one of those is appropriate. But it's more dramatic. It has more of a religious dramatic feel to it. And it, as it might serve as an impetus to movement, to change. If I think of it as coming from the world soul. It doesn't really matter where it comes from. Because it doesn't come out, it comes out of nowhere. That's what existence is. It's... It's not built out of anything. Okay, so... Fundamentally... Well, you know, what are you going to build being out of? Non-being? Well, that's not there in the first place, so... Okay, anyway, sorry. So this is what the dream was like. I dreamt that I was in communion, and the conversation... Was, it, you, also, you know, I've used the term subconscious, world soul, you know, whatever, myself. Um, as I've become an adult, I've taken religion less literally. I've taken theology less literally. And now I understand, oh, when people say the word God, they're talking about all those things. I feel like I'm doing catch up on like sophisticated religious thinkers I'm catching up to them <laughs> I'm like oh it's all symbolic you know and God is the, the master symbol 
of like the unknown, right? And that includes the world soul, includes your subconscious mind, includes everything. That's what God is. It's just a bucket where you're like, oh, I don't know, call it God. Oh, I don't know, call it God. God will provide, you know. Now, as a as a Mormon, uh, that's not the theology. The theology is first and foremost. God has his, a definition. He's a he's a person. He's a literal person. Literal. He's a physical being. Okay. So, you know, what are you gonna do with that? Like, come on. So it hindered my ability to appreciate the, the symbolism, uh, being able to use these terms as highly symbolic and non-literal. Okay, all right, so I'm playing catch-up. You know, the unsophisticated religious person, which is the only kind of person I had ever encountered as, you know, a Mormon, uh, just takes things quite literally. And it's just like, yeah, it's, it's completely literal. The Bible is completely literal. Everything's just, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm coming back. All right, so the conversation went like this. You know, I can't keep doing this. You know that, right? Okay, you've made some good progress recently, and I appreciate you uh, doing your best. But, you know, I was trusting you on this one. And I really thought you were going to pull through with your intention to get up at 6 and go to work. And, you know, I was... I had some good things cooking. I've been working all night. I've been up all night trying to set things in order for you. And um, this is what I get. I mean, hey, it's your life. I mean, it's, I'm not going to guilt you or anything. I'm just trying to make you aware that I can't keep doing this. I can't keep setting the world up just right for you. And then you change your plans on me. I can't do it. I mean, come on. You got to keep your intention. Stick with it. And I get it. You know, things change. I'm the world. I understand. Everything's in flux. I get it. But come on. You know, you were just a little tired. Come on, you can get up. You know you can. You know, I've had something cooking for you. And now, now I gotta scrap it. I was up all night working on this. I'm putting things in order. Just for you. And now I gotta, you know, change it up. So I can't, I'm not, I'm not gonna keep putting things in order if you're not gonna keep your intentions. It's just not gonna happen. You get that? Hope you're aware. I mean, I'm just trying to tell you. It's, it's for your good. I don't really care. Frankly, I'm going to be up doing something anyway. So you might as well, you know, take advantage of the opportunity. I can work for you. You know, we can we can be a team here if you want. I can make everything fit. Just, you know, just to let you know. That was the experience. That was the dream. 
That was the conversation. Because it wasn't a conversation. There's no back and forth. But that was what happened to me. That was the story. That was the experience. That was the data that God sent me. Or the world soul. Or my subconscious. Or my overactive guilt center. or something. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The fact is, when I woke up, I was like, oh, shit. That's an interesting dream. <laughs> I, so, something in me, let's just put it that way, gave voice to, to the world. That's interesting. So anyway, does, how does that relate to faith? Well, I think you show your faith by keeping your intentions. You, you show your faith in your past self. By keeping your intentions and being like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, well, anyway, I got to go. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.